0: A monster week for economic data. In fact, it seemed, at least to my eyes, to be the busiest week for economic data releases this entire year and this entire economic cycle. And it was a real doozy. I mean, economic release after economic release, the picture was very, very clear of what it all painted. Not even just the totality anymore, but the overwhelming majority of the data we received was very sour. All of it suggested economic recession. We got really bad survey data. We got really bad hard labor data. So let's walk through it all in today's video. But first a word from this video's sponsor. This video is sponsored by River. You guys, River is changing the game when it comes to being a Bitcoin exchange. You can buy on river.com right now with zero fees when you set up a recurring order. And also they have a proprietary multi-sig self custody solution. So you can rest assured that all the Bitcoin that you buy will not be lent out to third Parties and will be kept in their proprietary cold storage solution. You could use code, uh, actually, you can click the link in the description or go to river.com slash TBL to get $5 in free Bitcoin when you spend your first $100. Once again, this show is sponsored by river.com. So let's dive into it. Let's take a look at the totality of the data to see if we can't get a, uh, a good picture as to what's happening here. So first things first, this is the week as a whole. Scrolling up to the top here, you can see that uh on monday you know just by the looks of it this is a lot of economic data now for reference i would go to the next week but it takes uh, a few two mouse clicks in order to do that but it's about it goes down to about here so very very busy week on the economic data front uh we started things off on uh, on monday here uh with manufacturing pmis and the manufacturing pmis we're all very, very sour. Um, again, a slew of data this week just confirmed that the economy is in fact slowing. ISM manufacturing is in shambles. If you take a look there, every single component of the survey, not just the headline number, but every single component of the survey is moving down except for prices paid. So basically this is a survey that goes down, uh, goes out to all upstream United States manufacturers, or at least a lot of them, and it surveys our conditions better or worse than they were last month, When these numbers are falling, it means that the majority of respondents are saying that they are worse than they were last month, every single one except for prices paid. So uh, employment is going down, new orders are going down, the prices are rising. And that tells you quite a bit about the condition that we're in. So survey says, right, not just in the expression, you know, as an expression, but a literal survey says that the recession is closing in, right? Now, one other absolutely insane thing is something that Jerome Powell said on Wednesday. So, Tuesday was a little bit light on the data front, got a little bit of a reprieve there. But on Wednesday, we had the Fed's FOMC meeting. They have one of these every couple of months uh, where they, you know, the unelected cabal of elders reveals how much they're going to increase or, you know, what they're going to do to the cost of capital for the world's largest borrowing market. And they decided to leave it unchanged. But in the press conference, uh, one of the reporters asked Jerome Powell about what they were doing about the Bank Term Funding Program. As you guys know, if you've watched videos here, if you've uh, read the Substack before, or if you follow me on Twitter, then you know that the Bank Term Funding Program is kind of backstopping the entire U.S. banking system right now. It's preventing a massive cascade of bank failures. And the reporter asked if they would extend the Bank Term Funding Program beyond its deadline when it's set to expire in March. And take a look at what Mr. Jerome Powell said in response to that question, quick follow-up to the question about banking stresses: uh, you talked about how the banking system is resilient. Uh, of course, part of the resilience of the past year stems from the the bank term funding program that you launched in March. Um, given that bond prices have not recovered, that unrealized losses are probably mounting, how likely is it that you might have to extend that program uh, in March next year? Um, good question. We we haven't really we haven't really been thinking about that yet. We, uh, um, you know, it's it's november 1 and that's a decision we'll be making in the first quarter of next year that's crazy for context btfp or the bank term funding program is an emergency loan facility that the fed created where banks can take their devalued u.s treasuries to the Fed for a loan at par Uh, The reason they're devalued is because of extreme, obviously, a sell-off in U.S. treasuries that send yields higher, but also the Fed's interest rate hikes influences yields higher, causes people to sell off treasuries, and that devalues outstanding bonds, right? If I have a bond that's uh, yielding 1% and all of a sudden outstanding yields are soaring uh to to uh three, four, five percent, all the on-the-run issues are are issued at five percent, then my bond is worth much less because the price has to go down in order for the yield to match that five percent. And so banks are sitting on huge losses as a result, in large part because of the Fed's interest rate hikes. Um and the the size of those losses is 1.5 trillion dollars. So there's a 1.5 trillion dollar sized hole, excuse me, in the balance sheet of US banks. And those unrealized losses would have to be realized if not for the bank term funding program. BTFP lets banks take these devalued treasuries, exchange them for par. Now this is a loan facility and the loans are set to expire in March. Now again, there are $1.5 trillion in unrealized losses floating throughout the banking system. Granted, not all of that is being taken to the Fed's BTFP. The lion's share of banks are just sitting on these losses. If BTFP were to expire, then that would mean the outstanding $110 billion in loans, roughly, uh, would have to be called in, obviously. And then who knows whether or not those banks have been able to repair their balance sheets in time. So it's essentially a really big gamble. Um, and the long and the short of it is, uh, the program ends in March, and he said he hasn't even thought about extending it, he'd better start thinking. But really, the reality here is, of course, he's start thinking, he's just lying, he doesn't want to stir panic and accelerate the current de-risking in markets, let alone cause any panic. So we're saying, oh, we haven't thought about it. But in reality, it's going to be a permanent facility. Like all emergency facilities, they're not just the Fed, but the government creates. I mean, you know, following, uh, obviously, the, the tragedy of September 11th, the Patriot Act, right? Following Edward Snowden, who... Unveiled the Patriot Act. It's still happening, right? They're still listening to me, listening to me on my phone, right? What was it? What was supposed to be this temporary measure to stop terrorism in the United States is now a permanent measure used by the U.S. government. Same thing with several of the bailout facilities introduced in 2001 and 2008 and 2020, right? QE was supposed to be a temporary uh, mechanism, and now it is a mainstay monetary policy tool. So will BTFP, right? BTFP will become a permanent monetary policy tool. And essentially the Fed is going to permanently backstop its own government's bond market, right? Now, of course, the Fed is purportedly a separate institution from the U.S. government. Making this a permanent facility totally casts aside any notion of separation from the U.S. government once and for all, right? Um, making this facility permanent would basically make these two entities completely interlinked, align their interests completely, um, and essentially what this does is it completely eliminates the fire sale risk, the, the, that tail, that big left tail risk present in U.S. Treasuries, and frankly present in any other bonds. Um, you know, which kind of uh, is is highly manipulative, and it's highly manipulative in a way that only the Fed can do. And again, now that they're working in tandem with one another, interest fully aligned it's so unbelievably unconstitutional right in our Constitution there is no central bank but of course the Fed and the Treasury being separate has allowed them to kind of skate around that unconstitutionality and you know the, the Constitution doesn't really stop the government from doing anything right but the unconstitutionality of the Fed has never been more clear in fact they're trying to sue Bitcoin magazine right now uh, for their t-shirts which just goes to show how uh, how fickle they are anyway Moving on to job data. So we got this, after Jerome Powell said these things on Wednesday, we got some job data um, as of uh, today. So Thursday, all right, excuse me, today's Friday. Um, job data is deliberately overestimated here in the United States. I think <laughs> it's no secret that is the truth, that is a long-held belief, and that is abundantly obvious when you take a look at this. Eight out of the nine job reports have been revised lower. So we got new NFP data this morning, non-farm payroll data. Um, and you can see here eight out of the nine job reports in 2023 have been revised lower. I'm trying to move my finger, but it's not very, uh, very easy to do that. So here's what the government does. Here's what the BLS does. Um, and they deliberately overestimate the strength of the labor market in order to imbue the, the public, who doesn't ask many questions, with false confidence about the U.S. economy. And also because this is the cycle. So payrolls come in strong. Of course, they're, they're hotly overestimated. Eight out of the nine months that have been reported this year have been hotly overestimated. The media talks about it. The media goes, "My goodness, it ain't this economy strong." Uh, Joe Biden even gets out, um, you know, walks up to his podium with the help uh, from his aides, of course, and uh, he says that the job market is strong, lowest unemployment rate ever. Everyone goes rah rah rah, and then he walks away. So it's basically this victory lap speech, right? Um, but then the next month. When the following report comes out, the previous month is revised down by 10,000 jobs or more. (laughs) And in the case of this year, way more than 10,000 jobs, right? And then there's no media coverage. Okay, so payrolls are strong. The media covers it. It gets revised down. There's no media coverage, right? So it's propaganda, right? It's it's pure ministry of truth type stuff. Um, Now, one time is a mistake. If this was a revised down one time, that could be considered a mistake. You know, totally reasonable. Eight times is a pattern. And that's because all that they have left is propaganda to sell you that the labor market is actually doing extremely well. Moving on here uh, to another piece of data, uh, two pieces of data, actually, that were introduced on uh, Thursday and Friday, right? So on Thursday, we got initial jobless claims. We get jobless claims data every single Thursday. But on Thursday, uh, we got uh, data that showed continuing jobless claims rose to a new cycle high of 1.818 million. Um, which sets a new high for this cycle. Uh, Now, of course, continuing jobless claims are people who file for unemployment and then they stay on unemployment, right? And this rises as a recession nears. More and more people are put out of work. They stay on unemployment benefits. And then, of course, eventually the unemployment rate rises to a degree that NBER considers it a recession. So jobless claims lead the unemployment rate uh, by about one quarter. We'll call it one quarter. Now, continuing claims have been rising for ages now. Um, and of course, they continue to rise persistently. They just reached a new cycle high, and that's because tighter credit conditions are really starting to translate into labor market weakness after a multi-month lag. Uh, so say bye-bye to the record low unemployment rate that the powers that be have been advertising for so long. Bidenomics, after all. Uh, and like clockwork, Today, we got the latest unemployment rate. And lo and behold, it totally reflected this dynamic that I described uh, about the Thursday data. Uh, Unemployment followed initial jobless claims after multi-month lag and rose to a new high for the cycle of 3.9%. Now, our friend TXMC pointed out on Twitter that when the unemployment rate rises 0.5% above its cycle low, recession comes shortly after. And that's exactly what we're in store for now. Take a look at every single instance of both jobless claims and the unemployment rate rising uh, above a certain level. Uh, There is a threshold that once it's crossed, a recession is kind of inevitable, and we have approached that stage. Uh, So that is precisely where we are right now. Moving into some of the more granular job data, People with two or more jobs just hit an all-time high of 8.356 million in the United States. So this was part of Friday's uh, uh, BLS labor report data as well. Um, And this is seasonally adjusted, right? So the not seasonally adjusted numbers are higher. But to cut the U.S. government a little slack, I decided to use the seasonally adjusted numbers today. Um, But people with two or more jobs just hit an all-time high of 8.356 million in the United States. So it's pretty evident that Americans are at the end of their rope, right? You watching your video know this. You know that the prices of gro- price of groceries has gone up. Now interest rates on your credit card that you use to buy those groceries has also gone up. Uh, you may be buying it with cash and ultimately your wages, chances are, they haven't been able to keep up with the price increases for the necessities that you need, right? The middle class is rapidly withering away as people take on more and more and more jobs and higher and higher interest rates you know clash with still high prices because remember prices never go down that's the the way that the fed operates it does not allow prices to go down because it thinks the economy would collapse if prices did go down uh it's all about a loop of spend 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 and so not only are rates higher now but prices are of course still high they never go down and people are forced to take on two or more jobs um this is Bidenomics in action, folks. And of course, I know, I know full well that that this is the Fed's doing, right? This is not the work of the U.S. government, largely. But I'm saying that just to make fun of it, right? I'm saying the Bidenomics thing to make fun of it because the propaganda this cycle, at the very least, is is so potent and so, so obvious and so terrible, uh, so much so, it's so bad, right? Conditions are so bad that instead of a victory lap speech from the president, like I mentioned, they like to do, they like to trot him out uh, and do a rah-rah speech about how great the economy is doing um this has followed every single one of the you know the last several months good non-farm payrolls data uh releases good uh instead of that they sent out their chief propagandist right the um the chief labor secretary right and what did the labor secretary have to say let's take a listen here and here with us now is julie sue acting u.s labor we'll only show secretary a little bit this uh, secretary what do you think of the numbers what's your first take It's a good jobs report. It shows steady, stable growth. I know we've been saying that for a couple months now, but this last month's number was 150,000 jobs created. It brings the total since President Biden came into office to 14 million at the same time that we continue to see unemployment rate under 4% for 21 months straight. That's the longest in over 50 years. Madam Secretary, good morning. Wait a second. It's a good jobs report? That's what she said. She said it's a good jobs report, unreal. Um, <laughs> again, you know, that's why I called her the chief propagandist instead of the, the chief labor officer. I mentioned every single eight out of the nine, actually, not every single, but eight out of the nine BLS labor releases uh, for job gains, for non-farm payrolls have been revised downward. Once is a mistake, eight times out of nine is a pattern. It's quite clear. Uh, all that is left in this economic cycle, right, with the U.S. government and the Fed working in tandem, basically one entity, is to completely dissemble what is really going on to convince you that conditions aren't as bad as they really are. And that's what she just did. She just got out on her pulpit and said this labor report was good. She also went on to say that these numbers are inconsistent with a recession. Uh, I would like to point her to this chart right here. Um, and the three month, <laughs> she said, the th- because the three month average is still uh, 204,000, even though of course, uh, uh, 1.8 million, uh, oh, excuse me. She's referring to, uh, non-farm payrolls, right? So she would be referring to, uh, this chart right here, right? So even though, uh, 150,000 really disappointing number, uh, she still cites for whatever reason, the three month average. We have no leaders anymore people, and it's never been more clear. Uh, so, what other economic data was released this week that paints a very, very sour picture? Well, services PMIs, right? So we talked about manufacturing PMIs down upstream, manufacturers here in the United States, now, our conditions better or worse the next month. But what about service providers? A little bit more downstream, right? Not people who are responsible for manufacturing goods, but people who are responsible for services. And it paints a very similar picture. So ISM services PMI closed out the week as the very last data report, uh, a little bit earlier today, and it was a fittingly dismal one, okay? It fell to its lowest level in five months as each of its components, apart from new orders, uh, which is still rising as the Christmas season begins, fell, right, so the headline number fell, business prices fell, employment fell, right, which makes sense, People are, fewer people are gonna go get their nails done, you lay off the people who are uh, doing the nails, makes sense, but new orders are rising. And that makes sense as the fall, as the Christmas season comes up and approaches. Again, so manufacturing surveys, they point to economic contraction. ISM uh, uh, services surveys, they point to economic contraction. The labor data points to imminent economic contraction. And what do we think the market's reaction was? Well, the market reacted very negatively. The market reacted by piling into the safe haven asset of the world, US Treasuries. There was a monster move in yields that accompanied the market reaction to the totality of this data this week, right? In the last TBL Weekly, which is the free report we do every single Saturday morning on our Substack, you can find it in the link below or in my bio if you're watching this on Twitter, uh, we talked about how this was going to be a pivotal week for the economy, right? There was a slew of really important economic data releases. It was either going to make or break the fugazi that the Fed has been able to prop up for this cycle uh, and the, the other government agencies as well. And it turns out, yeah, that, that Fugazi kind of got decimated very quickly. Um, with the economy slowing so rapidly, according to this week's data, survey data deteriorating, jobs data withering, yields are plummeting. People are piling into the safe haven asset of US Treasuries because they feel a recession is right around the corner. Uh, twos, if you take a look at the two year yield, right, which is the proxy for uh, Fed funds, the proxy for where people think the short rates are going to go, uh, it fell 28 basis points in the last 30 days. It fell 12 basis points just today uh and the 10-year yield which are growth expectations which are more in line with you know inflation what the u.s economy is doing those fell 26 basis points this month and 13 basis points today so it's clear the market thinks a recession is on the horizon it's piling into uh u.s treasuries in order to safeguard itself from that um and of course higher for longer is kind of dead right at least, the, at least the first part of that phrase is dead, right? The higher part. Now the question is how long can the Fed hold here um, before the labor market unwinds, which it's already happening, um, and uh, the unemployment rate follows, which it is already happening. Now, again, it just remains a question of how long will the Fed keep this up? At what threshold does the Fed decide to back off? Um, so very clear. Survey says hikes are over. Recession is soon. Very clear. So then the question becomes, and the final question that I'll leave you guys with, uh, this is something that Michael Cantor said earlier today on Twitter. How much more time on the bad news is good shot clock is left? So what he's referring to is economic data and the stock market's reaction to it. For a pretty long time, bad news has been good news. If you see in that big red bubble right there, Having trouble orienting my fingers. That big red bubble right there—that has been a period where bad news has been good news, right? So any bad economic news we received was good news for the stock market, and vice versa. But now, as you can see here, in the green, we've moved above that, and now bad news is bad news. And the way that I derive this, pretty simple, is just the correlation between the S&P 500 and the City Economic Surprise Index. So economic surprise, i.e., are the expectations for economic data releases met, or are they uh, undershot? And based on the stock market's reaction to that, we can gauge whether or not bad news is good news or bad news is bad news. And we're moving back into a regime where bad news is bad news. So I ask you this, just like Michael Cantro asked his Twitter audience this: how much longer will this take uh, until bad news is once again bad news? And in response to all of this souring and worsening economic data, do risk markets decide to respond the way that they should by moving down? So that's all for today's video. Thank you guys so much for sticking around. Pretty long one today, 20 minutes on the clock. I appreciate you guys so much for sticking with me. Uh, of course, if you're watching this on Twitter, make sure you follow. Make sure you follow the company account well, the Bitcoin as well the Bitcoin layer. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, of course, subscribe, hit notifications so that you don't miss when we upload a new video. And of course, thank you so much to River for sponsoring today's video. They are changing the game. They are leading the charge when it comes to Bitcoin exchanges. You can DCA with them for zero fees. They have a proprietary multi-sig self-custody solution for all the coins that you buy with them. That's all for today's video. Have a great day, everyone.